Romans, the fifth chapter. We're going to begin with by just reading the first two verses once again. I know we've been in chapter 5 for several weeks now, but let's begin with those first two verses. Just as a reminder, just to get caught up with where we're at today. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's pray once again. So Heavenly Father, even now as we come to your word, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit upon this place. Grant us understanding. And Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And perhaps most importantly, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Therefore, in in light of all that Paul has said in the first four chapters, and we're not going to go way back into all of that, but therefore, having been justified by faith, so who's who's Paul talking to here? Who's he talking about here? Who are these who have been justified by faith? Well, let's let's get to basics. We we've talked for several weeks, uh, both Kevin and I, talking about let's get to basics. Who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about true born again believers, children of God, those who have heard the gospel of Christ, that God sent His Son into the world to die for sinners, to pay in full the penalty for sin for all those who in true faith believe in Him, confess their sins, repent, and receive Jesus as Lord. These are the justified. Justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. God justifies the ungodly by grace through faith. Uh, We will go back into Romans 4 for a verse here. Uh, Verse 5. Verse 5. Romans 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, and I'm going to pause here for a minute because I always want to explain what he's talking about here. Understand he's not talking about the sluggard who will not work or do a job and earn money and and, uh, take care of his family. That's not what he's talking about. And when he says, but to those who who does not work, what, what's he talking about? Remember, he's talking about the the, the scribes, the Pharisees who wanted to work for their salvation. That that through their many works that they thought they were going to gain salvation. But it's we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, not of works. So it's it's talking about those who were thinking they could work their way to heaven and to sanctification and to righteousness. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, is reckoned, is credited, is imputed, ever ever which word uh, your translation says there, that you want to put there, is accounted for what? Say it. Righteousness. Righteousness. God justifies the unrighteous. The ungodly. And who are the ungodly? Who are the unrighteous? Well, let's go back a little further in Romans. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, all, since since Adam and Eve, Everyone born on the face of this planet, born into sin and in need of justification by faith. All sinners, none righteous, no, not one, save Jesus Christ who came and was born in a manger. Him and Him alone. So, all in need of Christ. All in need of Him. Jesus came to provide that means of justification by giving His life as a propitiation as a ransom, as a payment for sin. And God laid upon Christ our sin. 
Christ became our substitute. He bore the penalty that was due to me. The wages of sin is what? Death. That was me that should have died. But He was my substitute. And child of God, He was your substitute. He took our sin. He bore the punishment for sin that should have been ours. God laid on Christ our sin. And in return, what was that great exchange? And He laid upon us what? The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Now, the true born-again believer stands before God, forgiven of all their sin, and stand righteous before Him, clothed in an imputed and accredited righteousness. Not of our own, but of Christ. So therefore, having been justified by faith, and then Paul brings out the results that comes from having been justified by faith. If you're a born-again child of God here this morning, this should be you. This is you. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. No longer an enemy. No longer under the wrath of God. But rather in a relationship of grace and peace with God the Father. So, so there, a result of having been justified by grace through faith, we have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified, we have access to God. Access into this grace in which we stand. Access that we may, as we talked about already this morning, that we may come boldly before the throne of grace. Access. And how did we get access? Through one, one. And that was Jesus Christ. There's, there's only one way to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's not multiple ways. All other religions, all other cults, all over everything, their worship, all of their adoration to their their made-up gods is futile. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Only one way. So therefore, we have access. Also, therefore, having been justified, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice with extreme joy in knowing that we have been justified. That should be our state. That should be our condition. Knowing that one day we will be glorified together with Him. Glorified completely for eternity with Him. And then comes the, the first four words of verse 3. Just put the first four verses uh, words up. And, and Paul says, and not only that. As I thought about that. And, and not only that. Well, well, Paul, you're saying there's more? That There's more? But, but these, these things are great. Peace with God. Access to the throne of grace. Being glorified together with Him. And now you're saying, and not only that. You know, it's almost like if you were watching some game show and there's that announcer and you've won, you've won this and this and this. And, and not only that, you won a new car. And, and so here's Paul. And not only that. And, and, and so we're saying, well, Paul, don't keep me on the edge, edge of my seat. What, what else is there? What's next? Paul, what's next? Put the, put the next step there. Read it with me. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And then the air went out of the room. But, 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 but Paul, but not only that, but we glory in tribulations. And not only that, but we also glory, and we talked about what that word glory means. It means to exalt, to, to worship with extreme worship, to boast. And not only that, but we also glory, exalt, boast in tribulations. How could we do such a thing? Because of what we know. See, that little word knowing means so much for the child of God. Because we know the Word of God is true. And so we take what we know. And, 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 and that's all I do from Sunday to Sunday as best I can with the, hope, with the help of the Lord, with the Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word to remind you of things you already know. I've got nothing new to tell you. All I can tell you over and over and over again is what this says. 
And so I remind you of those things that you already know. If you've been reading, if you've been studying, if you've been feeding on His Word. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So Paul, we're to glory, exalt, boast, and rejoice in tribulations? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so here once again, here we are once again, and we have a Scripture that causes us to consider how we as born-again children of God face and respond to the trials and tribulations that come to us in life. I stand amazed at how often this theme comes up, in particular in the New Testament. It speaks much about this. It's a very important subject. And it's one that the children of God need to get a grip on and to really consider. Because we are all going to face trials and tribulations in this life. Can I get an amen? And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that so that you can be equipped with the Word of God for when those times come. That's why we're here. We're here to worship God, yes, but we're also here for what? For the equipping of the saints. To go out and to work and do ministry. That's why we're here. And so, may we come... Brother Jim talked about, come that we may consider one another to stir one another to love and good works. That's why we're here. Tribulations will come. One of the last things that Jesus told His disciples was this very thing. In John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And now, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Jesus said, I have spoken these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have, say it, tribulation. But I don't want to say it. I, I, I don't I don't. May we be equipped. Jesus, Jesus said, do we believe Jesus? Oh man, we better. In the world you will have tribulation, but here's the good part. But be of good cheer. You know, there was another, another time where Jesus said that same phrase. You remember where that was? Uh, the, the disciples were in the boat. And, and they're out there and they look and they see something coming across the water. And, the, and they're fearing. and It's a ghost! Be of good cheer. Do not fear, it's me. It's me. Be of good cheer. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus warns that tribulations will come, but at the very same time, He tells us to be of good cheer that He has overcome the world. Because Jesus knew that His followers would face many trials and tribulations, but God's Word tells us that when we are in the midst of the tribulation, we can have peace. Do you believe it? You can. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Word of God says. Peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So in the midst of a trial, may we recognize that Jesus is our source of peace, our source of rest, our source of hope, our source of strength. He's the rock of refuge. So, how we respond to the trials and tribulations of this life give us an opportunity to examine ourselves and our faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? I would venture to say, without a shadow of a doubt, that I could say with 100% 
accuracy that everyone in here faced some kind of trial of their faith last week in some form or fashion. How did you respond? Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, quote, There is no more important and no more subtle test of our profession of the Christian faith than the way we react to the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of life in this world. There is no test which is more delicate, more sensitive than this particular test. You want to examine yourselves and get a gauge on your maturity and your faith? Or how about this? Or whether you even possess saving faith. You know, Paul said that. Examine yourself as to whether you are of the faith. Trials come as a testing of our faith. And always remember this. The testing of our faith is not for God's benefit. God doesn't need to test us so that He will know if our faith is real. He already knows. The testing of our faith is for our benefit so that we might know that we have true saving faith. So that we might know that our strength is not our own, but is of Him. Because trials and tribulations for the true child of God will drive us to our knees to seek Him. To find grace to help in time of need. Or at least it should. Amen? That's what it should do. For some, either in disobedience or because they do not have true saving faith, it will cause them to turn from God, to be angry with God, to be bitter with God about the circumstances that they are facing. You understand what I'm saying? We are going to go through basic Scripture today that you've heard here in this church over and over again because when we come across Verses like this that talk of, of, of these things, we're going to go through it because as, as I've said so often, if the Bible speaks about a subject, often it's important. And this is important. I've probably preached more sermons on this topic in some form or fashion. Either be anxious for nothing, uh, do not worry, do not fear, do not this or that, but it all comes down to every one of those things is a trial. And it all falls under this envelope or this umbrella of trials and tribulations. In First Peter, first chapter, verses six through seven. If you don't have these memorized, write it down. Write it down and come back and read these over and over and over again. Now, we're not going to read the first five verses, but child of God, you can read those. We've talked about them many times here, but we're going to pick it up in verse six. It says, in this, you greatly rejoice in knowing that you're a child of God. That's how he was talking about those things in those first five verses. In this you greatly rejoice, having been justified by faith. You know, Paul said it, Peter's saying it in different words, saying the same thing. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Let me pause. Who determines the if need be? You? No. God. God. What? You mean God allows trials and tribulations to come in my life? You better believe it. If you don't believe that, you've got to throw out an awful lot of your Bible and the examples it's found within. From Joseph over in the Old Testament. You think Joseph wanted to be sold into slavery and thrown into a pit? You think that was his idea? No. You think it was Job's idea for for everything to come and for him to lose everything and him to be sitting in a pile of ashes with boils all over him? You think that was his idea? No. God allowed those things. Why? For His plans and His purposes. Same with you. Same with me. He allows trials and tribulations to come into our life for a reason, for a purpose. And that's what we need to get a grip on. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why would God want us to be grieved by various trials? Keep reading. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Child of God, how will our faith be tested? In what ways? Well, in various ways. That you have been grieved by various trials. James says the same thing. Various trials. Trials of many flavors and colors and you name it. Various trials. Tested by fire. As a metal is refined. Kevin, I still remember a sermon you probably preached 15 years ago. Talking about the dross and the re- get the dross off of there so you can see the, the reflection of Christ. And, and I still remember that. And, and, and it speaks so true. We go through a refiner's fire. I, I worked at a smelter down at Glover. And I know about these things. They had a process. They would bring in the, the lead ore and some of the, the ore, some of the veins in Missouri had rich silver deposits in them. It, it, was, it was subtle. It wasn't a whole lot, but they would gather it up. You'd have this great big vat of 330 tons of lead. And Scotty, you worked, did you work at the refinery some? And you got to do this too. And they knew what materials we would throw in at. <laughs> throwing his stuff in there and, and had a big mixer. Imagine the mixer that could stir 330 tons of lead. And, and so here it is, and it would cause the silver to stick to this other material. It would rise up to the stop, and we would be out there with these paddle boards shoving this stuff over so that the crane operator could pick it up in the, you remember that? Pick it up in his ladle, and he would take it, and we'd put it in these molds and break it up, and, and then, did you ever get in on the, the retort furnaces? Oh, my goodness. What, what was the temperature of those things? It was like, oh, my goodness, 2,500, 3,000 degrees, something like that. We would take this ore, and we would put it in these little pots, and it's just screaming hot, and you've got all this gear on. And what it would do, it would burn away everything except the silver. And you better believe... When we got ready to pour that silver, there were supervisors standing all around. And we would pour it into these little ingots, and we'd be guarded. An armored car would come and pick it up. Burning off the impurities. Do you see the correlation in your life with going through refiner's fire? What's God doing? He's refining you He's burning out the worldly impurities. Getting rid of the junk. Understand that. God has a purpose and a reason for all these things going through. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Here, look at this. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of what? Affliction. You don't believe God allows you to go through trials and tribulations and affliction? What are you going to do with that verse? Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Tested so that we might know that our faith is genuine, that we might know that we possess true saving faith. And trials will distinguish those who have true saving faith and those who have a superficial faith. What do you mean superficial faith? A faith that's not real. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the Word of God talks about. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, trials will either drive someone to God or drive them away from God. The Word of God backs that up. And and here's what I want to read. I want to read a, a John Piper Solid Joy Daily Devotion and I don't know, are these things the same, just repeated every year? Are they all new? They, okay, so this one's probably coming up. Um, it's entitled, Suffering That Crushes Faith. Mark 4, 
verse 16 and 17. This is, this is Jesus, and He's got the parable of the, the sowers. The sowers, the, the, the different soils that the seed lands on. So here, look at this in Mark 4, verses 16 and 17. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, now listen, everybody listen and say amen. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Immediately they are, King James I think maybe says offended. So now quote John Piper. The faith of some is broken instead of built by suffering. Jesus knew this and described it here in the parable of the four soils. Some people who hear the word receive it at first with gladness, but then suffering makes them fall away. So affliction does not always make faith stronger. Sometimes it crushes it. And then comes the true, the paradoxical words of Jesus in Mark 4.25. Do I have that, Chase? For whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Keep it in context of what has just been that we just read. This is a uh, again Piper quote. This is a call for us to endure suffering with firm faith in future grace. Piper uses that phrase an awful lot. Future grace, and, and you understand what that's talking about. He's talking about that which lies ahead of us. Future grace, that 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 we 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 have now in Christ but we've not truly, can I say, obtained it yet, that, that we will fully obtain it in the future when we're with Him. So he's talking about look forward to that future grace, that which is to come, that when we will be glorified together with Him. This is a call for us to endure suffering with firm faith and future grace so that our faith might grow stronger and not be proved vain. And he gets that from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless, what? You believed in vain. You mean there's those who believe, but their belief is in vain? Yes, false confession. Again, Piper. Knowing God's design in suffering is one of the main means of growing through suffering. If you think your suffering is pointless, or that God is not in control, or that He is whimsical or cruel, then your suffering will drive you from God instead of driving you from everything but God. As it should. So it is crucial that faith in God's grace includes the faith that He gives through suffering. End quote. I'm going to read another quote, a, a pretty lengthy one here. This is Lloyd-Jones again. And he is teaching along the same line of the same parable of the sower. So, so listen, so listen. Jesus says, this is Lloyd-Jones, quote, Jesus says that some of the seed fell on stony ground and sprang up very quickly, but when there was no depth of soil, it had no root, and it did not last. Now, listen to this commentary on life. This is often the kind of man who has some trouble or problem in his life. He has tried everything. He then comes to a Christian meeting and is told that he has only to believe this message and accept it and all will be well. Sound familiar? Perhaps you've invited someone to church. What message are they going to hear? Well, just, just believe this and, and all will be well. Don't you want to be happy? Don't, don't you want your best life now? 
Don't you want to go to heaven? <laughs> Who in their right mind is going to say no to a question like that? Don't you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Well, well believe. Believe. Just believe. And I'm back, back to Lord Jones. All right, he says, I will believe it. He is told to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does so. Sound familiar? Repeat after me. He is told to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does so. He is then assured that he is saved. Can anyone assure anybody else that they are saved? No, and don't you ever do it. Don't you ever do it. The Spirit, that's the work of the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that, that will declare and bear witness with someone that they are a child of God and that the, the Spirit of God in them. Keep reading them the Word of God. Keep showing them the Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. He is then assured that he is saved. Now listen. But his trouble is still with him and his problem unsolved. He finds that trials and tribulations still come. And he says, but I thought that if I believed this, then I would never get this kind of trouble again. As our Lord says, when tribulation or persecution arises for the Lord's sake, immediately they stumble, immediately they are offended, and yes, they're offended. You told me everything was going to be okay. Now look at this. And then they're mad at you. They're mad at God. The man is offended. He says, I did not think it was going to be like this. How many of you have friends that this is describing them? I'd venture to say it's describing some people you know. I did not think it was going to be like this. Why does God allow this sort of thing to happen? I thought that once I believed, I would never again be in such a position. And then Lloyd-Jones says, So you see that trials and tribulations and troubles do indeed constitute a most vital and thorough test of our Christian profession. End quote. This was from some 60, 70 years ago that he preached this. So will we be able to endure the trial that will come our way. You notice we changed the lyric of it as well. And trials will come. And we change that because of what the Word of God says. Well, how will we face the trials? Will we be like the ones in, in Mark 4 who were offended, got mad at God, shook her fist at God? I don't think it's going to be like this. And we turn and we run away. Or we'll be those who fall on our knees and we look to Him for grace to help in time of need. See, why did they fall away? They failed because their faith was not real. Scripture says they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they would have been of us, they would have remained. Their faith was not real. It was counterfeit. It was not genuine. And James talks about enduring through trials and, and temptations. James 1, verse 12. You knew we were going to get to James at some point, didn't you? Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, that word endures temptation... To me, that's not the best translation. Uh, the the, NAS, the NASB says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Uh, put the ESV up. Okay, you've already got it. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, the one who endures through trial. And again, that's the question, isn't it? When trials come, will we endure? How will we hold up under trials and tribulations when they come? Ask yourself, 
How have you done in the past? And then challenge yourself, how am I going to do, how am I, I going to do in the future? How about this? How about purposing of heart right now how you're going to respond when the next one comes? That seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Daniel purposed in his heart that he was not going to, the next time they brought that stuff in, he wasn't going to partake of it. How about this? For the children of God to purpose of heart that I'm not going to partake of the junk. I'm not going to partake of the temptation to do this, 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 or that. I'm not going to do it. By the grace of God, by the truth of His Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I am more than a conqueror over all those things. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. The one who endures through trial. And, and, and there's the question, will we, will we persevere? Will we fall away? Now, now listen to this. For some who actually have true faith, they will still have a momentary failure in a test. Understand that. Understand that. It, 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 they will fail a test but not utterly fall because that's impossible for the true child of God. We've talked about that so often. And what shall snatch us out of His hand? What can pluck us out of His hand? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And where do I get that? Well, Peter's the prime example, isn't he? And three monster failures. And yet it was to Peter that Christ took him off to the side, the resurrected Christ, to talk to him. So understand that a momentary failure is not a complete failure. I want you to understand that. Because I've talked a lot about failing the test and, and, and of faith being not genuine. Now, we still examine ourselves. But here's the thing. As we go through these trials and these tests, and as we, as we are, by the grace of God, we are successful, doesn't that build our faith? Doesn't, doesn't that let us know, oh, I am a child of God. He has helped me. He has helped me. He's helped me through these things. And I, I'm a child of God. But if we, do, if we do stumble, and we will, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not either. And when we do stumble or fall, aren't you thankful for a verse like 1 John 1.9? 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we get up. We dust ourselves off and we continue down the road of faith. And also, I want you to understand this, that, that when the Apostle Paul talks of rejoicing and suffering, he's not speaking as a spectator, he's speaking as a fellow sufferer. And his sufferings were long and hard. And we get a glimpse of Paul's attitude in responding to suffering Let's go to that 2 Corinthians 12. We've already touched on this quite a bit from the song service up until now. 2 Corinthians 12, let's begin in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, let me pause for just a moment. Remember the Lord has let, let him see paradise. Great, wonderful things that words couldn't, he couldn't even put into words. And so... Because of those things, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times. He prayed, he pleads with God that, I might, that it might depart from me. And he, next, and he, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, here's the therefore. And this, this is Paul. This is the one who wrote that over in Romans. Now here's another therefore. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Does that sound a little bit like Romans 5, verse 3? I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, when I'm brought low, when I'm under trial, tribulation, 
and everything is weighing down upon me, then I am strong. Then I am strong. Barb and I were, were listening. There's a couple of gospel music uh, on Sirius Radio. Um, one's kind of southern gospel, the other's more contemporary. And there's, I think there's a couple others. But we were listening to one of them, and, and there was a lyric to a song that came on, and the song was about prayer, and I was kind of listening to it. And one of the lyrics that came across was that, that prayer will change your circumstances. And I, and I paused it, and I looked at Barb, and I said, that's not true, necessarily. Prayer may change your circumstances. Paul prayed three times. Did his circumstance change? Did the thorn in the flesh go away? No, his circumstance did not change. What changed? Paul. Paul changed. His attitude. <laughs> so, what are you saying, preacher? I'd say I'm putting myself in this category too. Sometimes we need an attitude adjustment. And the Lord will allow us to go through trial, 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 testing, testing, testing. Circumstances not changing. And if you're going through the same thing over and over and over again, I keep going through this, I keep praying and everything's the same. Maybe it's time to realize the circumstance is not going to change and it's you that needs to change. How about that? That your attitude about whatever it is that you're going through, the trial that you're going through, you need an attitude adjustment as Paul got here in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Well, preacher, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> is that not what we're getting from the Word? Paul resolved to rest in the power of Christ even in the midst of all he was going through. I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Not of Himself, but in Christ. Yet not I, but Christ in me. We're going to sing that at the end of the service. Let's go to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verses 4 through... We're going to go all the way through 13. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice! Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Now, I'm up, let's pause here for a minute. When are, we test, when are we tempted to be anxious? When we're facing a trial. You see that? A testing of our faith. And it's tempting us to anxiety. See, the things that are tempting you to worry, to fear, to be angry, to be anxious, all those things are trials. Do you see that? They're a testing of your faith. How will you respond? You, will you respond in faith as a child of God? <laughs> One of mom's sayings just popped in my head, and, and Kevin, it's dangerous when things just pop in your head, isn't it? Or will you be like a chicken running around with his head cut off? And I grew up on a farm. I know what that looks like. It's not pretty. Will you pass the test? That's what we're getting at. Will you pass the test? And he goes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, come to the throne of grace when you're anxious, so that you will find grace to help in time of your anxiety, your fear, your bitterness, your anger. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a wonderful promise. I'm going to keep reading. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about, think about, think about God. 
if you can't think about nothing else. Think about God. Think about Him. Think about things above. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the the God of peace will be with you. Are you brave enough to tell someone that? What Paul just said right there. Did you get that? The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do those things. Parents, is that, is that, can you say that to your kid? Face life like I'm facing. Face trials like I'm facing. Can, can you say to your brothers and sisters, hey, look, look to me. You act like I act. Can you do that? Yeah, just, just walk like me. Just, just follow my example. Can, can you do that? Verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And Paul was talking about these people didn't have a way to come and to help him as he's there in, in prison and, and he, he, there was things he was needing, but they couldn't do it. And then it goes in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. What's that mean? To, to be abased. That means to be brought low. To be in need. And, and you're going to see it here in just in a little bit. To be hungry. So to be abased. To be brought low. And I know how to abound. To be lifted up. To have all I need. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. Whew, there's a good one right there. Are you learning? Are you learning? What have you learned? Paul says, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now let me pause here. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Keep Philippians 4.13 in context with what's being talked about here. Don't be like this crazy athlete that's got it tattooed all over them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can lift this weight. I can make that touchdown. I can do this thing. I can do this thing. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What's he talking about? What's what's the what's the all things that Paul can do? Well, he can be anxious for nothing, for he knows that the Lord is at hand and that God is near. That's what he can do. He he can pray and rest in the peace of God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He can do that. He can rejoice, for he has learned to be content regardless of the state, the condition, the circumstance that he finds himself. Whether he's brought low and hungry or abounding and full, he can do either. He can do all things because the Lord is the one who gives him strength. That's what he's talking about. May we understand the true purpose for God's design in trials and suffering. I want to read what Piper said one more time here. Knowing God's design in suffering is one of the main means of growing through suffering. If you think your suffering is pointless, or that God is not in control, or that He is whimsical or cruel, then your suffering will drive you from God instead of driving you from everything but God, as it should. So it is crucial that faith in God's grace includes the faith that He gives grace through suffering. And he does. And he does. And here I am. I'm halfway through. Will we run? Or will we stand in grace? Because here's the thing. There are some who will try to escape from the trial without taking the test. Preacher, what do you mean? What what do you mean try to escape? Now listen, listen. As soon as anything becomes difficult, the tendency is to just run. Change jobs. Change homes. Change churches. Change locations. Change schools. Change, how about this one? Spouses. Try to blot out the trial, the tribulation you're going through with drugs or alcohol or something just to blank it all out. Things have gotten tough and the only way to deal with it is for us to run or to, to cover it over. 
Well, what would that say of your faith? Say, may we trust God and choose to see it through. May we trust God and persevere to the end. In Matthew 24, verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You want to know if your faith is real and genuine? Then you're going to stick around. You're going to remain. You're not going to run. Oh, you may have a momentarily lapse to where you may run. But if you're truly His, he won't, He's not going to leave you out there. He's going to leave the 99. He's going to leave the sheep in the fold. He's going to go after that one lost sheep, the one that is His. He's going to bring him back in the fold. That's what the Lord does. That's how much He loves you. He will not leave you to yourself out there. He'll come get you. And often when He comes get you, it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be through discipline and trial that He will bring you back. May we endure. May we persevere steadfast through the trial. That James 1.12, ESV, do I have it right there? I know we read it earlier, but let's look at it one more time. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now this is the same wording and, and, and the word and wording that Paul used in exhorting Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's look at it. Be diligent to present yourself approved. That's what, that's what Paul said or James said in, in James 1. To, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Present yourself approved to God, approved after testing. The one who has endured to the end and has the seal of God's approval upon his life because he has endured steadfast through it. He has stood the test. Or when he has stood the test, how long will the test last? Go back to that James 1.12. And when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. When will you receive your crown of life? You're going to receive it while you're here on earth? Nope. That's when you're with him. So, do the math. And when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. How long is this test going to happen? The remainder of your days here on this earth. Well, preacher, why did you tell me that? So that you might know the truth. So that you can persevere and endure to the end and know that your faith is real and you'll receive the crown of life. See, these testings of faith, these various trials will go on forever and ever on this earth. And you may be thinking, well, man, that's good news. But it is good news. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. I've overcome all these things for you. And you will receive the crown of life. And for that, we, we rejoice with joy unspeakable, unexpressible in knowing that we are His. In knowing that we are His. Second Corinthians, drop down chase. Second Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, so here you go. Therefore, do not lose heart. You may be going through a trial. Don't lose heart in the midst of the trial. Persevere. Do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Even though it comes to the point of where the Apostle Paul was many times, he was, his body, he was beaten and bruised and left shipwrecked and all these things. He was half dead. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What's the inward man? It's the spirit. It's the spiritual man. It's the spiritual man. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, I said, I said that, that these testings will last the rest of your life. In the grand scheme of eternity, how long is your life? You're a young guy. How long is your life? You think you got a lot of years left? No, you don't. It's going to go by just like that. It's a vapor. The Word of God says it's a vapor. My mother lived to be 96 years old. When she was 96 years old, she said, I can't believe it just seemed like yesterday. I was back in the holler playing with my brothers and sisters. Where did the time go? And it's going to be like that for you guys. Someday you're going to look back and go, where did it all go? 
because it goes by so fast. In the grand scheme of eternity, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that's what he's talking about. Though it lasts the rest of our life, it's but for a moment. Which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, what's the things that we're, that are seen? It's that trial. It's that temptation. It's all of those things, all these things of earth. That's what we see. And he says, now don't, don't look at those things, but, but at the things which are not seen. Which are the things that are not seen? The things of God. The things that are found in His Word. Look to the things above. Have our focus on Him. Look to Him. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. By faith we hold on during trials this momentary light affliction because we know that soon we will have a far more exceeding weight of glory. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Hope for the glory of God. We have looked at this several times throughout the years. For some of you, this is going to be brand new. Andrew Murray wrote a book that some of us went through years ago with Christ in the school of prayer. I would recommend it. It's just, it's a little 30 day devotion is what it, am I thinking right? That's what it was, right? It was uh, 30 days. Am I thinking right? Yeah. And 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 in it, he went and talked about trials. And this is what he said. In my experience of trial, I will say this. And he wrote this in his journal the day after he had got mugged and beaten in the streets going home from a meeting. He wrote this. He had been robbed. His, his, his money taken and all this. He wrote this in his journal the next day day in my experience of trial i will say this first god brought me here and it is by his will that i am in this tough place in that fact i will rest do you believe god's in control you should because he is and so andrew murray says i'm going to rest in the fact that if if the god allowed it then I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. There's a plan. There's a purpose. God has allowed it. Next, God will keep me here in His love and keep me and give me the grace to behave as His child. Let me read it again. God will keep me here in His love and give me the grace to behave as His child. Then, God will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons He intends me to learn and working in me the grace He means to bestow. Lastly, God in His good time can, if He chooses, bring me out again, how and when only He knows. So, here. Here's your your four points of, of this, of what Murray said. When you're going through the trial, if you're a born again believer and you're a child of God and you know that you're His, then whatever you're facing, you're going through by God's appointment. Will that give us a different perspective on what we're going through? It should. It should. I'm here by God's appointment. Remember that you're in His keeping, that He is near, that you're in His hand. Remember that you're under His training. You're there there for a reason and a purpose. And to know that I will continue in it for His time. If need be, I will remain. If need be, I may be delivered. One more. One more. I want to go back and reread 1 Peter once again. 1 Peter 1, 6-9. And we're, we're about done. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice in joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, when unbelievers go through trials in this life, they go through them with no hope with no help. 
But believers go through trials with faith and a blessed hope of a glorious future with Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet believing. Yet believing. And there it is again. Yet believing. And here's the question. Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? The most important question, the answer to this question determines your forever future, your eternity. Do you believe? Not with a belief that is no better than the demons who believe, but with a belief that is wrought by the Spirit of God, true faith, wrought by grace. Saving faith that will endure to the end, to the salvation of your soul, do you believe? Well, preacher, how can I know? His Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. That's how you know. The Spirit of God in you. John 3, verses 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now I always want to pause for a moment. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that one day will come to all the unrighteous, to all unbelievers, to all the unjustified, the wrath of God. That's what you'll be saved from. Verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but listen to this, but he who does not believe is condemned already. See, apart from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the unbelievers walking around this earth are dead men walking apart from a miracle of grace and mercy from God. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he is not... Here, here, why? Why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. That's why. See, Jesus came to the earth to be the perfect sacrificial lamb to give his life a ransom for many, to pay in full the penalty for sin for all those who would believe. By faith... Believe. Receive Christ. Confess your sins that you're a sinner before most holy God, a sinner in need of a Savior. Confess Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and turn and follow Jesus. How will I know if it's a true confession? He will let you know. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we already talked about what you're going to be saved from. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon His name. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A call in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give You thanks for Your Word. And, and I pray that I didn't get in the way today and do it injustice. But Lord, if I misspoke anywhere, just I pray that You would erase it from their memories and let Your Word ring true in their heart and mind. Help every child of God to hear to rest in Your promises to know that we are not facing any trial, any temptation, anything on our own, but that we should run to You, our source of strength, our source of hope, our source of all, Christ alone. And Lord, should there be someone who's listening to this sermon and they're yet lost, or they're not, they have no assurance of their salvation, Lord, I pray that You would, Draw them close to Yourself that You would open their eyes to truth, that You would shine light into the darkness, that You would bring them spiritual life. Lord, that You would reveal Yourself. They would see Your holiness and Your justice and Your righteousness and would fall before You a sinner 
in need of redemption, in need of forgiveness. And so, Father, then show them the rescue for sinners. Show them the cross of Christ. Show them how Jesus died for them and paid their penalty. Show them the grace and mercy. And Father, grant them faith that they might believe a true belief, and in believing that they would confess their sins and turn and follow Christ the rest of their days, enduring to the end. So Father, help us to... Lord, just remember, for some of us, we're not going to make it out these doors before the next trial comes. We're not. It's going to be something that's going to happen right in here. So Lord, help us to face it as we should. And if it doesn't happen here, it's going to happen sometime for every one of us. So Lord, help us to face every trial. Help us to be a living example to others who would know that we're facing a trial and could look at us and marvel that we can say the things we do. Blessed be your name. Though I'm walking down a road marked with suffering, blessed be your name. For I know this momentary line of affliction is but for a moment compared to the glory that is to come. So Father, help us to remember that, to look to You. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.